as well. It's on you, Ben. <laughs> uh, I was sitting in the uh, passenger seat here. Okay. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 73 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. This is Ben Olson in Washington, D.C. Um, Nathan Fox, how's it going? Great. I'm in Los Angeles. I'm about to move uh, from Los Feliz to, I believe I'm going to move to the Arts District, which is on the other side of downtown. And uh, it's been busy. I've been flying around and looking at apartments and all kinds of craziness. But uh, hopefully things will settle down here by the end of the year. So wait, you weren't settled already? I thought you were. Well, I am, but uh, I don't actually like my current place. Uh, I like the neighborhood here, but I don't like the actual current unit, and they want to jack up my rent. So I then now I'm just been looking all over uh, Los Angeles for a different spot. So I'm going to move again, um, this <laughs> time just across town. And it shouldn't be that big of a deal because it's awesome once you move. Then you get rid of all your stuff. And so now I don't have all that much stuff to move. So it'll be much easier. Yeah, that is nice. Uh, that is the nice thing about moving. I hate it, but getting rid of stuff is always always feels good. Um, oh, I'm trying to remember it. I, have you heard of this book? Oh, shoot. It's about getting rid of stuff. It's by this uh, Japanese woman. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Kondo. Yeah, Marie Kondo. It's called yeah. The Life-Changing Art of Tidying Up or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I did that, that before that, I moved out of San Francisco, and it was awesome. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so I read that book, and I didn't implement it fully, of course, but uh, did take away some things and cleaned out my a lot of rooms. It was it was very refreshing. But so let me let me get this straight. You're in the city, or no? Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm in Los. You're Angeles. in downtown. Okay, so I just don't think I'd be a. I'd like living in the downtown area. There's there seems to be too much cement. Well, uh, and stuff like that. So what do you, what do you look for when you're trying to figure out where to live? I'm not downtown, downtown right now. I mean, I'm in Los Angeles proper. My address is Los Angeles, but I'm in a okay. little neighborhood mm -hmm. called Los Feliz, which is pretty leafy. I mean, it's also pretty urban. I'm like right off of Hollywood Boulevard. Okay. Griffith Park is right here. So I can like hike up in the mountains and the fancy mm. neighborhoods and stuff. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, I really enjoy it around here, but there's tree and there are trees everywhere. The place I'm about to move is really going to be the concrete kind of world that you would hate. It's um, it's in the Arts District. There's this uh, huge apartment complex that they just recently built that's about a third of a mile long. And it's super modern, sleek kind of uh, concrete everywhere sort of thing <laughs> but uh <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be perfect actually it's uh it's got a lap pool so i can swim and it's also got a uh a community room that you can reserve and i think i'm gonna start hosting my classes in the super fancy community room uh at the apartment complex where i'm gonna be where living. you live yeah it's gonna be <laughs> badass <laughs> it's gonna be awesome yeah, um, just make sure not to tell anyone where your apartment is ah, i'm not afraid come on really i i, I mean i'm sh i used my home address as my business address for a million years <laughs> in san francisco what's, what's gonna happen i've only had one uh, stalker nothing, in like nothing's gonna bet that bad's gonna happen but i i guarantee you get some questions oh oh hey nathan oh you're around let me let's chat that i mean that's great yeah yeah you should do that yeah I am, yeah, I'm pretty different from you in that sense that uh, I live in, just outside of DC in Virginia, but uh, it's kind of cool. If you go, I live at the very end of a cul de sac, and if you go 
to the down the cul-de-sac there's houses 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 whatever and then at the very end for whatever reason there's just a ton of trees you can't even see our house so we are surrounded by trees and then behind us there's like a whole uh plot of land that was supposed to be a school but ended up not being a school so now it's just forest so it's pretty um pretty secluded in that way in uh side of nature i guess you could say yeah that does sound nice i'm yeah i'm a city guy i don't know what to say i've lived in san francisco i've lived in boston and now la and like city all the time so i just i like it i don't know yeah well cool well uh we have a lot of exciting stuff on the agenda today i don't know half of it since you added it to the agenda but i'm excited to hear what you have to say a short reading recommendation from nathan Ooh, is that a book uh, no, it's an article. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, and then, yeah, we have these <laughs> these issues with accommodations and uh, some updates, both happy and sad. More emails, of course. And then if time, we will cover a logical reasoning question from the June 2007 LSAT. By the way, several people have told me that they uh, found have found our analysis of the questions at the end of the show helpful which I guess I shouldn't be too surprised about. We're doing them to be helpful. But sometimes, you know, we can take three years to talk about one question. So I didn't know if people were falling asleep during those. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it goes back to what we say a lot, where if you really truly understood one test all the way through, like if you understood every aspect of just that one test, the June 2007 mm-hmm. test, you'd kind of get the DNA of the, of the LSAT as a whole. So mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with taking 15 minutes to make sure you understand one logical reasoning question all the way through. If you do that, you're going to find a lot more logical reasoning questions like that in the future that you will understand deeply. So for sure. Yeah. I'm glad people think it's helpful. Cool. So let's, let's jump in here. Uh, you have a new feature. <laughs> yeah, we need, I think this should be a new feature, a regular feature on the show. We need like some bumper music and stuff. So maybe our awesome editor, Andy can, uh, work on some sound effects or something, but, uh, <laughs> the, uh, I have a, I have a nominee for, uh, the really dumb move of the September 2016 LSAT and this comes from one of my uh, tutoring students and I told her that I was going to uh, have to mention this on the show because it's so dumb. Uh, Here it is, the really dumb move from the September 2016 LSAT. This girl uh, is at the test. She is uh, at the same testing center as one of her friends. At the break, her friend illegally tells her that game three of her game section was really hard. That's illegal because you're not supposed to be discussing the test at the break. Of course, everyone discusses the test at the break. I mean, when I was taking the test, everybody was discussing the test at the break. Oh, oh Nathan, I never did that. I'm shocked oh, to hear that. I did not. I did not. I went. I covered up my ears and went like, la, 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 so that I didn't <laughs> illegally hear anything. But I noticed. No, I don't remember. I just remember taking a beeline to the bathroom. Yeah. But. <laughs> yeah. I actually went out to my car and sat in the car and put the seat back and like closed my eyes for ten minutes um, oh. or five minutes. But uh, so she hears from her friend that game three was really hard. So then she goes back into the test and she gets her logic games section. And she gets to game three and she skips it because mm-hmm. it's allegedly really hard. 
And then she runs into game four from September 2016, the virus game that everybody thinks is super hard, which is not super hard at all. But yeah. it's harder than game three in that section. And guess what? Your friend who was telling you that game three was really hard. Uh, had experimental. That was an experimental <laughs> section of games, not the actual set of games. Yeah. And so this student really just screwed herself on this one. Okay. So that's the really dumb move of the September 2016 official LSAT. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, in uh, the Olympics, the judges give scores sometimes for some of these events on the scale of 1 to 10, I think, last time I checked. So what would you uh, rank this? Uh, it's not the dumbest thing I've ever heard. The dumbest thing I've ever heard is believing that you have an experimental section and so then you just don't do it. That, that was one that I heard early in my career from a student, and I've told that story on the show before, I'm sure. That would be a 10. Yeah. That's the only time anyone has ever gotten a 10. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Um, uh, this is, I don't know, I'm going to give it an 8. Okay. So uh, thinking you know which one is the experimental is a 10. And not doing it. Thinking the, not th doing, even thinking yeah. about whether this is the experimental section or not is already like a 6. But mm -hmm. thinking it's the experimental section and then therefore not doing it, that's a 10. Yeah. So for our new listeners, just to walk you through the logic here, the experimental section is the section that is going to pre-test future questions um, for future test takers, and it will not be graded. So whether you do it or not doesn't matter, but uh, knowing whether it's the experimental section is impossible. And even if it has questions on it that are completely foreign to you, there are very there are two very obvious explanations for that. One, you have not seen enough LSAT questions in the world to really decide whether it is foreign or not. Or two, it really is a new, so, so to speak, question type, but that new question has to appear on some official test sometime, and maybe it's appearing on your test. And if you've done enough official tests, you should recognize that they are constantly introducing new little wrinkles. Yep. I mean, there's at least a couple per year where it's a different, uh, subtly little different type of game or little different type of way they phrase a logical reasoning question or whatever. That doesn't mm -hmm. automatically mean it's the experimental section. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I just heard the argument the other day for uh, doing the test backward. For some reason, uh, doing a section backwards. Uh, for some reason, this this still lingers out there. This um, student got it from a friend, and uh, I think she quickly realized that it's probably not the best strategy, but uh, it still persists, right? That people think, oh, well, the last questions are hard, so I should do them first get them out of the way. The big problem with this, of course, is now you're going to spend a lot of time on questions that you might end up getting wrong anyways and may not even get to questions that you would definitely get right. Idiotic. Which is a huge bummer. Yep. Idiotic. I, you know, oh boy, I have, a, I, don't, I have a limited amount of time to harvest as many peaches as I can off of this tree. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like this analogy. I have never heard this before. Sorry to talk over you, but I'm already liking it. I got to get as many peaches as I can off of this tree. So, uh, you know, the ones at the very top, those are the hardest ones to get off. So I'm going to start with those. I'm going to get the extension ladder and lean it up against the side of the tree, climb way to the top and reach way out to the side, risk breaking my neck, 
to get the very, very hardest ones off. And then I'll work my way down the tree and then run out of time and have the whole, like all the branches that are down, like laying on the ground laden with peaches and just, oh, I ran out. I didn't get to those ones. Yeah. (laughs) Come on. That's just (laughs) so stupid. It's like, it's just one of those things where if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is, right? It's a gimmicky, like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a secret thing. You just got to do it backward. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. It persists, though. I think, you know, uh, people just don't think through it. So, uh, yeah, and then you have an honorable mention here. Oh, yeah, honorable mention. This one made me laugh. Um, The student who had their i've yelled before on the podcast about the special lsat watches that i hate so much Mm -hmm. um well there was a special lsat watch made by blueprint that was during the test the student noticed that the the watch was ticking so loudly that it was distracting her from from doing the test yeah wow (laughs) if you're gonna take all the time in the world to make a watch for the lsat Please don't make it tick so loud. Yeah. And I'm not picking on, you know, Blueprint specifically or anything. I This is just a report that I heard from a student. But I do hate those stupid LSAT watches. If you have one of those LSAT watches, please smash it with a hammer. Um, um, yeah. I think that the – so there is one that's like $60 out there and – uh, some of my students have gotten it and I don't, I don't see a, a problem with that. I kind of like the idea of just, Hey, click if, if it's this one, it seems pretty good. Like you click the button and it resets to noon and then you can click start and it goes down 35 minutes. So you can know your time at any time. Yeah. Make like, sure you check it between every question. Make sure you do math in between every question and, and calculate exactly how much time you have left. And boy, if you start to fall behind, you better better speed up yeah yeah uh, yeah i know i know how you feel about this nathan um i i think that uh, taking control of your time can be a good thing for many test takers it uh it's something that i do when i go take a test i have uh, an analog watch so that if i'm getting close at the end i can decide whether or not to take some calculated risks uh, with the last couple questions, for example. Also, if the proctors mess up, I know exactly what's going on in terms of the timing. So uh, I'm not so opposed to them. I think your general position is no watches at all, right? I love it when people can let go of the watch. If you can let go of it and, and not freak out and just calmly, carefully work for 35 minutes and just get them all right, then if you run out of time on the last couple, it is not going to matter because you're already going to have 90 points on the test. So I'm a big advocate of not bringing any watch whatsoever on the day of the test. I think you need to learn to ignore the time and just get them right. So I agree that that can be a huge problem for some people, but I it would be a little hypocritical for me to go all that, all that way because... Uh, when I take a time section, for example, I haven't taken test 79 yet, but when I do take it, I will uh, have my analog watch. And after each reading comp passage, for example, I'll just see if I'm kind of, if I took a long time or if I am feeling pretty good about my time because I'd rather start catching myself kind of going slow or I don't know, being lazy or something in terms of how quickly I'm going, 
uh, really? early on. Yeah, really? Do you for think sure. that you really do that? Uh, yeah, that's exactly what I do. So, why for example, do you do that? why are you being lazy? Why, why aren't you just figuring it out and answering the questions correctly? Uh, because my, my sense of the time is not always accurate. So, for example, um, I'll do the first passage and then maybe I look down at my watch and I'm like, oh, wow, like that took me nine minutes. It seems like a pretty easy passage. I might be overthinking like easier questions, things like that. Mm-hmm. And so then wanting mm-hmm. to go a little bit faster before it becomes something at the end where I'm maybe saying, okay, well, I have to give up the last few questions because I just kind of moseyed through this section. Well, I'd like to see what happened if you did it without the watch. Yeah. I mean, the other thing here is, and we've talked about this on the show, there are people who, you know, get crazy proctors who don't give them the five minute warning or whatever. And then everybody else in the room catches it. Uh, no, that's not always what happens, right? Sometimes people don't say things. That's what happened with one of my students. And so I feel like taking control of the situation with a watch is something that I would, I would, I would, I would not want to concede that to the proctor entirely. Maybe you're just more fearful than I am. That's why I live in the city and you live in the countryside. <laughs> uh, that's one possible interpretation. I mean, I just don't want to say, oh, well, the proctor messed up. So that kind of threw me off. Oh, well, their fault. I want to take responsibility for the situation and what's going on. And I want to, mo- most importantly, I want to modulate my time. So if I'm, I'm like, oh, well, I'm going a little slower. It's like feedback. I don't think there's anything wrong with feedback if you can uh, integrate it effectively. Yeah, I, I, we are going to disagree on this point. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, so I'm, I definitely do tell some people that they probably shouldn't have a watch because they're thinking about it too much, but I also definitely would use it. So I think there are some people who could definitely benefit from that. Cool. We don't have, we don't have to agree on every single point, Ben. <sighs> yes. Just okay. 99%. That'll probably <laughs> be enough. Uh, so what's this, uh, reading you have? Oh, it's just, uh, something I've been thinking about a lot lately, especially with the election on top of us and everybody losing their mind. Um, it's a video and article on rollingstone.com. We will uh, post a link to it in our show notes. And it's just about how we're being brainwashed by our media to be afraid all the time. And Republicans are doing it to us, and Democrats are doing it to us, and every TV uh, program, especially the news, is doing it to us. And um, it's about the disconnect between actual circumstances in the world today and our perception of those circumstances because of all of the crazy, you know, gun violence headlines and shock stuff that we're constantly being confronted with on television. Um, The quote that I wanted to pull out from it was, according to Lewis and Clark College President Barry Glasner, who's one of the country's leading sociologists, quote, most Americans are living in the safest place at the safest time in human history, end quote. And I just believe that to be true, and but most people believe the exact opposite of that, especially people who watch the news all the time are the ones who are, you know, just 
locking their doors and just so afraid of the marauders. And, um, you know, we have things like Trump announcing that we're not going to have a country left anymore and that we're under attack and that there's just rapists. And I don't know, it's, it really is kind of sickening to me <laughs> that, that people feel this way. And, and it's just sad, you know, that, um, that people feel so afraid. So this article, uh, I think maybe might want to, might be able to do some good in the world. Okay. So that's interesting. Um, what is, why does the article think that everyone is so afraid? Did it do surveys or something? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just got, it, it has all kinds of data in it. I don't, it's been like a couple weeks now since I threw this on the agenda. So I don't even remember, uh, the exact details, but it, it was the link that we'll post. Um, it was really cool cause it had like a two minute video at the top and then it had a whole long article. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I mean, I didn't know that I, I mean, personally, I don't feel afraid. Maybe it's cause I'm hiding away in my <laughs> yeah. forest enclave but what <laughs> uh what are people are afraid of gun violence i guess or uh like, they're afraid of everything you know they're afraid of all these immigrants who are coming here to take uh, our jobs okay. and steal yeah. our money uh-huh. and rape us and see i was i was under the impression that's not like a mainstream Fear. I thought that was like Donald Trump tapping into rural America, which which I guess could still be a sizable part of the population. But even but I mean, it, it happens in liberal enclaves as well. Right. I spend all okay. my time in San Francisco and hipster Los Angeles. And the mm-hmm. people that I rub elbows with are just nothing but liberals and for the you know vast majority of them, they're like highly educated liberal people. Mm-hmm. But the, I'm in a group of people last night going on a like a neighborhood walk kind of thing, and they're freaking out about what happens when Trump gets elected, you know. And people are like talking about moving to Canada and like, oh my god, mm. it's the end of the world if this guy gets elected. It's just yeah, everybody's afraid all the time, and I, I don't know. To me, I'm just like, wake me up when this shit's over. I've already lived through four of the, you know, everybody thinks it's the worst president of all time, except for nobody agrees who, which one it was. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what? <laughs> come on, people. It, I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just saying this is not the apocalypse. We, we, <laughs> we are getting richer. We are getting more healthy. We are getting safer. Yeah. Things yeah. are getting better. Yeah, interesting. I mean, for the, <laughs> I just wonder how many people are actually afraid. That's why I was curious about the data. I'll take a look at the article. But you know, even those people who say they want to move to Canada, like they, I, I, it sounds like just hyperbole, no? Like they're just kind of being trying to be funny or something. I, I do, guess. Do you know anyone that actually wants to move to Canada? I do not have any interest in moving to Canada myself. No, and I, I don't. I don't know. Check out the article. Um, it's a quick, <laughs> it's a quick read. I just wanted to post it for something that I thought people would would think is interesting. And um, you know, like I always say, just find things that you enjoy reading, right? And read them a lot. So yeah. um, if listeners are trying to get better at the LSAT, one thing you can do is uh, turn off the TV and read something. And uh, yeah, you'd have a double benefit of not uh, being bombarded with scare tactics as well when you turn yeah. off the tv 
Speaking of fear, uh, when it comes to the the test, there are some people who I think are afraid to take a practice test. The fastest way to learn how to ride a bike or to do anything is to fall off of it. Yeah, right? yeah, you have that's to the go I, make mistakes. I wrote that exact metaphor in the first book I ever wrote, Cheating the LSAT. I wrote mm. about how to yeah how to learn a bike how to learn to ride a bike do you yeah. like do you read some theoretical treatise on the fundamentals of bike riding no you get on the bike and you ride and you crash and you crash again and then you figure it out and that's by far the best way so yeah if you're out there listening to these podcasts and you haven't yet taken a practice test wow i mean that's like turn off the podcast Get the June 2007 LSAT and time that thing and do it. Do the whole thing and <laughs> see where you're at. Yeah, and to those people who have taken practice tests and are still taking practice tests, if you're feeling nervous or afraid to take your next practice test, I think you're putting too much weight on the score. Obviously, that's going to matter uh, eventually, but... <laughs> You just have to embrace making mistakes. This is an unofficial test. It's not going to, no one's going to necessarily know about it except you. You just have to say, let me go take it. Let me even fail so I can find out what I suck at and then learn learn from it. This is like a cheat sheet. The, all these previous exams are like cheat sheets. Go cheat by taking them, figuring out what you're bad at, and then being ready for the next exam that's going to come and be official. Yeah, I mean, people, right, people pay way too much attention to the small sample data. They want to see their score for any given test. They worry about their score. And if their score goes up by two points, they're ecstatic. And if their score goes down by two points, then they're despondent. And it's like, stop it. What We're not, these are not, every single one is not for diagnostic purposes in terms of your score. It's diagnostic in terms of which ones are you missing? Why are you missing them? How do we improve from here? Mm-hmm. Yep. So do it. This is even more reason to just do 35 minute sections and not worry so much about doing full practice tests all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, if you do a section today, then maybe you won't freak out so much about the numbers and you'll just start looking at your mistakes and figuring out why you are making those mistakes. Mm-hmm. And that's really the route to improvement. Yeah. All right. So now we have some questions. I don't know if I've read this question by Jack. Would you mind taking it? Yeah, I'm happy to. I'm happy to navigate these. Jack says, my question relates to deciding the best way to adapt my strategy in order to account for the fortunate development of being granted 50% additional time on each section. Long story short, I've been PTing 35-minute sections for months. I took the September exam. I was then reminded by my parents that I was granted extra time for the SAT. I had no idea because I refused to use it based on some teenage nonsense. I read the ADA lawsuit, applied to LSAC, and was granted 50% additional time for the December exam. Part of me thinks I should continue to work at a pace similar to 35 minutes. Stop, stop, sorry. (laughs) I'm reading ahead as as you read this, and that is just bad. What do do you think? Sorry, maybe you think differently. Oh, no, this is, uh, I think, totally wrong. Uh, So he's saying I'm going to 
just still do 35 minutes, circle the ones I'm not 100% sure of, and then use the 15 extra minutes to attack the circled questions. Um, yep. I think this is a dumb idea. I, I think you should have plenty of time to finish the section if you're getting time and a half, and especially because of later information that will become clear. Just hold on. Mm-hmm. Jack's going to have plenty of time to finish, and I would absolutely say, dude, just go through it once and just get them all right. And yeah. if you circle one or two and you want to go back to it at the end, that's fine. But you shouldn't be like circling eight questions and trying to do the whole thing in 35 minutes and then go back. And you're, you're handling the same work twice. If you do that, you're going to be reading the same thing twice. Don't do that. Just with extra time, especially you have plenty of time. So just go through one at a time calmly and just get them all right. And you're going to end up with a gigantic score. I mean, this kind of reminds me of you're going to play like you practice. So if you practice this and going fast uh, when you could slow down and start getting them right, then that's what you're going to do on test day. And it's just not the most effective way to do things. Figure it out in the moment and then get it right and move on. Yeah. So clearly just, yeah, don't don't circle a bunch of questions. Just go through it once and just get them all right. And if there's one or two that you got stuck on or whatever and you want to go back to those, that'll be fine. But um but then here's, check this out. This is the second part of the deal, okay? Okay. I took the September test, like he said earlier. I took the September test without any accommodations and scored 162, which is just a point lower than my practice test average. That's with 35-minute sections. Wow. So now Jack's going to get accommodations, though. That's awesome. He's going to do well. That is awesome for Jack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I, I sense that you have something else to say about this. Well, you know, talked about it before. I mean, uh, what is the purpose of these accommodations? Yeah. I thought that the purpose of the accommodations was to level the playing field. 162 is an awesome score. What is that? Uh, 90, 85th 85, percentile? Yeah, 85th percentile about. Roughly? Yeah. So... He's beating eight out of ten of his competitors. Eight yeah, and a half out of ten. Top fifteen percent. Yeah, he's in the top fifteen percent of all test takers when he's taking the test with thirty-five minutes. But now he is, I mean, wisely going to take advantage of the rules and get his extra time. I'm not judging Jack at all for this. I think he absolutely should do this, but he's now gonna go score one seventy something. Yeah. We're not hating the player, we're hating the game. <laughs> nice. <laughs> there you go. Um, it's the Akama apocalypse. <laughs> it's going to get weird. It's getting weird already, and it's going to get weirder. And they are going to have to do something about this. They're going to have to move it. They have to change it to an untimed test, I think. Um, they got to figure something out because it's just like, yeah, you know, hey, parents... You, you better try to get your kids accommodations uh, right now in school and definitely apply for the accommodations on the SAT, whether or not you think they need it, because they're going to get this crazy advantage when they take the LSAT. Yeah. You know, think about that. This kid, Jack, didn't he didn't use the accommodations on the SAT. Nope. He went to college. He graduated from college. And now he is already scoring 160 something on the LSAT. And then, mm-hmm. oh, shit, wait, I qualify for extra time? Oh, cool, okay. <laughs> Which will not be noted on his record in any way, shape, or 
nope, it will not be noted on his record because of this ADA lawsuit. In what universe is this fair? How is this possibly, who, who considers this to be fair? You know, I actually was thinking about this the other day uh, because the number of people, the number of students now who are applying for accommodations has gone up. I think partly because of the podcast, they take the class, they listen to the podcast and like, oh, hey, um, I've never done this before, but I've always had a suspicion that I could qualify for some sort of um, learning uh, disability or whatever you want to call it. And by the way, Ben, uh, I just went and met with a specialist and I got this letter and now I'm applying for accommodations and then I hear back from them a couple weeks later and they're like, yeah, LSAC approved it even though I've never gotten it before. Wow. And so what I'm wondering is I'm wondering whether these quote learning disabilities that we think are affecting a certain percentage, small percentage of the population are actually affecting a very large portion of the population maybe even half, but most people just are sort of unaware of it, right? And so they're not re- – <laughs> you're not really uh, – if you're going to level the playing field for all these people, then like you could start seeing scores that are more similar to each other or something. You know, That might explain why some people are scoring in the 140s or 150s. Uh, it could just be because they're not cut out for this or they haven't studied enough, but it also could be they have a hidden learning disability. And if it really is so ubiquitous, then, I, yeah, I don't know what to make of any of this. AKA everybody has a learning disability? I mean, a- AKA everybody has a different brain? I, I think there's some truth to that, right? Some people maybe they're not as quick at understanding this but they you know they work like a horse and you just know that they're going to push their score up whereas other people they understand it faster but they don't work as hard and we're like well shame on you for not working hard but maybe that's actually like a <laughs> just this is another or type of learning disability you seriously can't motivate yourself to work and so we call that you know a bad character trait rather than maybe a learning disability this whole thing is bullshit, dude. It is. It, it is. I'm sorry. You know, and, and it's discriminating against poor people. This thing is going to discriminate sure, against poor people and discriminate against brown people because poor people, brown people don't have the same sort of wherewithal. They don't have the parents who know that they can get this special treatment for their kids. So they never, you know, they don't have the money, time, resources to go to a doctor and get a special doctor's note so that you can get your extra time. It's just, this it's just bullshit. This it's a hard issue. It's there's no easy solution. Many people actually do need real accommodations. And I'm talking about people who are blind. I'm talking about people who have physical difficulties. I'm talking about a lot of different people. And I'm not even saying that there's no such thing as cognitive impairment but once you start trying to level the playing field for cognitive differences, mm-hmm. then what is the point of having a test and having a time test to begin with? That's testing your cognitive abilities. I thought we were testing cognitive abilities. By the way, sorry, little tangent here. I I agree. That's what it's testing. And a lot of people, you know, they take issue with the time. This is the most common refrain. Oh, I could I could ace the games if only I had more time or all the time. And what I think is really interesting is what timing does in a testing situation. And I don't think a lot of people realize this. Timing 
tests not just what you know, but how well you know it, right? Like, yeah, you're you're going slow because you're not as fluent or completely unfamiliar with the ideas that other people are familiar with. They're more fluent in them. They're more aware of what the heck is going on. They have their mind wrapped around that idea so much more fully than you do that as soon as you start talking about it, as soon as you start talking about correlation or whatever, they see it. Whereas you might understand correlation, but because you don't understand it as well, you're sitting there and you have to like read it three or four times. And then you're kind of like, oh, maybe this is correlation. I think it is. Yes. And that took you time. So the test writers are limiting the amount of time you have precisely to test how well you know these concepts, uh, which comes back to knowledge. So I think some people are like, oh, I know this stuff. I can totally do it. It's like, well, you don't know it as well as you could. And there's some things that you don't know at all. Yeah, I I have five different ways to get to the correct answer on this question. And you only have two. And that's why it took you longer to get there. Mm -hmm. I'm better at this than you are. I'm sorry. It's fine. You can get better at it. But saying, oh, if I just had unlimited time or if, you know, it's just the timing. Well, you know, I could win the gold medal in the 400 meters if it wasn't for the timing aspect of it. I know how to run. I can run 400 meters. Mm -hmm. So if it wasn't for the time, I mean, it's just the timing. It's not fair. I should get extra time to run the 400 meters because it takes me longer to run 400 meters. And I find it hard to get out and run daily. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Seriously, this pisses me off. It's so it's, I mean, I understand what, what, what happened, you know, it's just, I feel like now all we're going to do, because now the position that I'm in, I okay, I can yell about it on the podcast and complain about it, but I also will just advise all my students, hey, if there's any chance that you can get accommodations, you want the you want the shortcut to a better LSAT score? This is an awesome shortcut to a better LSAT score. Yeah, it'd be irresponsible not to make that recommendation. I have to. Yes, it is I, my professional responsibility to advise my students even ones who have never gotten accommodations before, they should definitely go apply for accommodations. Yeah, if there's a, at all a chance. And a lot of these things might be unknown. You just have no idea. You've accommodated for your learning disability by working hard or whatever, and you don't realize how much less work other people might be doing. Let's move on. I'm going to get pissed off. I'm going to be sure. I'm going to be more pissed off if we don't move on from this. Ooh, um, well, we have we have a happy update from we do. Dad. This is going to be awesome. It's going to be soap opera because we got a happy update and we got a sad. Holy update. smokes! This is long. This is a long happy update. I'll, I'll I'll skim it or I'll go I'll go pretty quickly. So this is okay. from um, Overwhelmed Dad, who I looked it up. He was on episode 62. He was okay. a high school history teacher who has a newborn baby and he is looking to switch careers into law. We we advised him to shadow lawyers, etc., and you know, really make sure that this was something that he wanted to do. He says, I found an LSAT class offered by Score Perfect at a reasonable price, and it got canceled. I hear a lot of this. People signing <laughs> yeah, up I for do classes and then the class is canceling. Um, be aware of that. If you're going to, uh, sign up for a class, I think you should ask them what's going to happen. If the, you know, what are the odds of the class running? Did your last class run? What am I going to get? Do I get any kind of compensation if the class gets canceled? Cause I've heard of people like rearranging their lives, 
you know, arranging childcare and whatnot, and then mm-hmm. get, getting time off work, childcare, whatever. And then at the last minute, like the day before the class, they just pull the rug out from under you and cancel the class. So definitely mm-hmm. check that out. Anyway, it got canceled. So I became a self-studier. I spent an hour or two every day taking one or two sections of a practice test and then reviewing my mistakes. I sh- he says, kudos to my awesome wife for carving out so much time away from baby duty. I started in the low 160s, and on every test, I seemed to improve by about one point or so. I made it a game each time I did a 35-minute section. I even started to get giddy when it was time to take a test because I came to view each section as an opportunity to grow and acquire more information on the test. I'm a nerd. Yeah, I am too, and it is a a game, I think. You know, if you're going to do really well, I think you have to get to that point where you're actually loving it. Mm Mm-hmm. I remember the day when LR finally clicked. It was amazing. It felt like that scene in The Matrix when Neo starts to see the world in ones and zeros. I never got to that level on the games or reading comprehension, but I really tried to get into the head of the test writers when I would review each section. Eventually you start to know the patterns, blah, 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 blah. Well, I was wrong. Here's my LSAT horror story that turned out to be just me being an anxious idiot. My game section was last. With the adrenaline pumping, I breezed through the logical reasoning and felt pretty confident that I would get an average score on those, so he thinks he missed one or two. Felt normal on reading comprehension, was about minus four for him. I went into the games with wind in my sails, which quickly faded. I probably should have known that this section had a weird game by looks on fellow test takers' faces during the break, but I chalked that up to nerves. The worst part is that I started to bomb on the second game, which was just a simple two-world grouping game, uh, according to Overwhelmed Dad. I made mistakes in my setup. I failed to see connections and make inferences. About halfway through game number two, I noticed my mistake. Fire rushed through my body, and I started to panic. I got red and sweaty, and the pencil started to fumble in my hands as I thought the same thoughts that a million other LSAT takers probably think. I'm screwed. Shit. I messed up. Shit. Oh, no. Go faster. Panic. My book was littered with diagrams and testing answer choices, both pages filled with scribbles and so many markings that I was starting to go through the paper of the test booklet. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> you guys be a novelist when he's done. It was at that moment that I put my pencil down and closed my eyes. I relaxed and told myself, this is one game of one section of a very long test. You've taken about 100 sections of actual tests. You'll be fine. I got that confident from your podcast, and had I not been listening to it, I really think I would have continued to bomb the next two games. Thank you so much. I attacked the game again. The next game was pretty intuitive, and the last game, of course, was weird as hell. No diagram I made made much sense. I got the five-minute warning and realized I would have to use intuition on the game as much as possible. I found the most restricted variables, I applied them to the questions, and I left confident that I got at least half of that game right. I knew I wasn't going to get in the 170s, and that was all right. I felt that it would be in the 160s still, even if I bombed one game. I even talked to my wife about canceling my score because I thought I could really break the 170s on a different test. She reminded me that I was being ridiculous, and if I thought I made in the 160s, that's still a good score. I agreed, and I pushed the LSAT out of my mind as I awaited the score. Well, a few days ago, my life changed. I got a 173! Exclamation <laughs> point. I missed one question on my, quote, bombed game. That was the only question I missed in the whole section. 
to think my dumb ass was seconds away from imploding myself during the last section and further diminishing my score. I even thought about canceling it. I know myself, and I know if I hadn't been given the confidence that came from y'all's insight on taking and studying for the LSAT, as well as the experience of taking one section a day every day with review, then I would still have been stuck in the 160s. Thank you both so very freaking much. You both literally helped change my life. Overwhelmed dad. Dude, that's awesome. I think we need to have his wife on the show, too. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Sounds like he owes her one big time. Um, 173, pretty awesome. Almost canceled it. And 173. Yeah. Oh, that would have been, no one would have known. Yeah. Well, yeah, we wouldn't have, we would have had no idea. He'd just still be studying for December, like trudging away. <laughs> that just made me think of the LSAC folks. Like, what do they do when they look at all that canceled data? You know, of course they're running that through the machine still. Like they're like, oh, look at, here's a 175 canceled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. You would think, yeah, they must notice that. Interesting. Well, thanks for writing in. It's always nice to hear uh, a happy update. I don't know what I want to say about that other than yeah, don't cancel. I mean, you you took the test. It, you you might not. You think you didn't do as well as sometimes. Just like this, you know. He said he, he didn't think there was. He had no chance of getting in the one seventies, and then he gets the one seventy three. So I do have one last thing to say for overwhelmed dad. Sure. I don't think that he should become a lawyer. I think he should become an author. Yeah. Yeah. You like his... Do we think anyone should become a lawyer on this show? Um, <laughs> I think you should become a lawyer if you can't sleep at night otherwise. <laughs> like if you just if if this if it's the only path for you, I think you should be a lawyer. Yeah, because there are those people. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. He's got he's got the he's got the knack for uh, describing what the heck is going on. So yeah, he's going to have to take all that you know beautiful descriptive dramatic stuff, and he's going to have to put that on the shelf for when he starts doing legal writing. Also, I would suggest only one space after uh, sentences. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, okay, moving on. You're so tough. that is true. The new the new thing is once is one space, right? Did you learn how to type with two spaces? I mean I learned how I to did. type with two yeah, spaces. Yeah, I yeah. did. I think I have mostly broken myself of the two spaces after a sentence, but it's hard. Yeah. Okay. And now we have a sad update mm. from Tom. He put his whole name, but I'm, I'm shortening it, shortening it down to Tom. <laughs> we don't need to be putting Tom that much on blast. He, even though he voluntarily said, please use my whole name. Are we ready for this one? Yeah. You, you already read this, right? Yeah, Yeah, I did read it. Mm -hmm. Dear Nathan and Ben, my dilemma, I am no longer interested in law school. Paragraph break. (laughs) (laughs) It's a dramatic open. (laughs) It's awesome. Yeah, this guy too. He could be a a writer too, I think. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I have to get serious now because it gets sad, so. I graduated in May of 2015 and, like a fool, took the June LSAT to end up with a 149. In July, I met the most beautiful and most open person I've ever met. She helped me study, encouraged me, and moved across the country with me. Despite her help, I only scored 151 on the December 2015 LSAT. 
As people in relationships do, we surpassed our honeymoon phase and became comfortably content with each other. I was happy that I had someone that accepted me for me. The last weekend of September this year, she didn't come home. I found out she had cheated on me with a coworker and moved in with him that same weekend. It's now the last full week of October, and I'm still in a serious depression. She works a couple blocks away from our apartment, so seeing her with him is unavoidable. It's unbearable. Especially because she was my only friend in a giant city, and now I literally have no one while she's off in love with someone new. I can't eat, and I have to fall asleep early in the morning only if I have the TV blaring. I have no interest in the things I used to do because they were our interests. Law school is the last thing on my mind. But I don't know if the reason I want to give up is because I don't want to do anything other than sleep all day, or because I truly feel like law school is not where I belong. Surprisingly, I scored a 156 and 158 on the last two full tests I took earlier this month. Not great, but a lot better for me. I think this is due to the fact that I no longer see the questions in a positive or even neutral light anymore, if that makes sense. Instead, I'm doing better at being skeptical and seeing the absurdity in some of the stimuli and answer choices. Being depressed seems to have enhanced the angry, cynical side of my brain. Your podcast is a beautiful alternative to the music I once found inspirational. In fact, at a time when I only feel sad, I find myself smiling at the quirky things you say. One little shout-out or pick-me-up is all I ask for in a world so dark and bitter. I'd appreciate it more than either of you could imagine. Feel free to use my name, and thank you, Ben and Nathan. You guys are the only friends I have right now. Whoa, that's a lot of responsibility. Regards, Tom. And then there was, <laughs> there was also a PS in here, mm. um, which goes seems like Tom is still thinking about law school, because Tom says... P.S. I can't find a class for under $1,400 in my city. Would it be more helpful to just hire an English or philosophy Ph.D. student or something like that per hour? Hmm. I don't know that they would help you much with the LSAT. Yeah, I'm saying absolutely not to that. I think uh, for LSAT, you're going to get what you pay for. I think you want an LSAT specialist. Just because someone's good at English or philosophy... They have no clue what's going on with, especially the LSAT logic games. They also just don't get the subtleties of like what the test makers are specifically looking for on the LSAT. I think the only way you get that is by doing tons and tons and tons of LSAT. So I would definitely be looking for an LSAT specialist, an LSAT class, um, maybe something online if you can't find something in your city. Yeah. Okay. I work full-time as a, this is still in the PS. I work full-time as a financial consultant at a credit union, and I don't feel passionate about that either. I'm the only person in my branch under 35, so I can't reach out to coworkers, and I only make $35,000 a year, so it's too little to live on my own in my big city. Thank you for reading this if you do. I'm sorry it was so depressing. That's Tom. What do you want to say to Tom? Uh, hang in there. Think things will get better, and it sounds like... In some ways, there has been some silver lining with the test. Studies have shown that uh, people who are more angry <laughs> are better at a, better at spotting flaws within logical arguments. Uh, the studies did not have anything to do with the LSAT necessarily, but I did find that interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I say that all the time with logical reasoning. Like when I'm reading an argument, if I'm pissed off at it, 
not just pissed mm-hmm. off in general, but pissed off at the argument, like, come on, this is ridiculous, then I'm, you know, that's good, right? So if I, mm-hmm. I always say, like, if I'm pissed off, then I'm happy on the logical reasoning. Yeah. So that sounds good that he's made some progress. I mean, I would also have to say that it's probably just he's continuing to get better at the test, right? Correlation mm-hmm. does not For mean sure. causation. So he's, yeah. <laughs> he's just, he's still on his way up. It takes people a different amount of time to prep for the test and so i don't know when he started prepping he says he took the june 2015 test Um, but i don't know how much he prepped before the december 2015 test but he improved a couple points on december 2015 and then i Mm -hmm. guess he just kept studying took september wait no didn't take september he's just been doing practice tests but now 156 and 158 uh, those are good numbers. I mean, that's encouraging, right? He's knocking on yeah. the door of 160s. And usually with 160s, I don't, uh, I, I always try to talk people out of law school, but if you get a 162, it's not like I'm afraid that you're going to have a terrible law school experience and not pass the bar or something, right? That's kind of the number sure. where it's like, yeah, you'll be able to do fine on the bar if you decide you want to. Yeah. I'd also say we both have classes that are uh, around a thousand dollars that are online and he could do those for sure. Either one of them. Yeah. I mean, we have to, we're, we're bad at selling ourselves, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) People are always like, man, I love the podcast so much. I just wish I could take your class. And I was like, I'm like, oh yeah, well you, you could. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And again with the, I don't think the English or philosophy student I don't, I don't like that plan. I, I would like to second the uh, hang in there, Tom. Thanks a lot for writing. Um, we all have uh, ups and downs in our lives. I would, uh, you know, I would say, dude, you are really, really young. You know, if he graduated in May of 2015, I assume that he's 20 something. And, um, I have become like four different people since I was 21 or 22. I've had Mm -hmm. a a wild range of relationships. I've lived in three different cities in different states. I've, you know, like started riding a motorcycle when I was age 38 or whatever it was, which I never, ever in a million years would have imagined that I would have done. And so, you know, you're this dude, maybe this is his quarter life crisis, but you got way bigger crises than this coming. (laughs) That's like kind of, that's like even more dark, but it's like, dude, this is not the, the wait, just wait till you see the shit that life has in store for you. Good and bad. No, I think that's a really good point. It made me think of, I can't remember who was telling me this or if I read it in a book or I don't know what, but the idea is if you're freaking out about something or sad about something or uh, just concerned about something, try to imagine your future self uh, 10 years, 20 years from now, looking back on what you're going through, how would that future self assess the situation? Would it be something to be like, oh yeah, yeah, that, that was fun or, that you know, those are uh, interesting times. Or would it be something that you would actually feel really sad about? That would – and if if your future self can sort of, you know, laugh it off, then it doesn't mean that it's not difficult. But, you know, maybe it's not as big of a deal as we might 
think yeah, it is. That's an interesting philosophy. I wonder if maybe you have to be a little bit older, a little more experienced before you can even understand that whole concept though. You know, like when you're 22 or whatever, you're at the very, very beginning of your adulthood. Even, you know, it's like, it's kind of silly that we've decided that 18 is an adult. Cause I mean, is it really, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like people are still sort of developing. And when I look back at my 20 year old self, I was definitely hysterical about things that I did not need to be hysterical about. And I don't think I would have had the perspective to be able to try to be like, Oh, when I'm 40, what am I going to think about this? Cause I, I would guess that Tom's just like, yep, when I'm 40, I'm single, still living in a van down by the river. And I'm <laughs> by the river. <laughs> and I, you know, and I'm just poor, poor and depressed, and just grizzled, and yeah, I'm gonna die alone. And then I'm gonna look back on this moment, and it's gonna be still the worst moment in my life, just like it is now. It could, it maybe you know, maybe it's hard to see that and get out of that mindset. But I'm just trying to think, even if you're like twenty something or whatever you can still look back to experiences you had in middle middle school or whatever yeah like, you know i thought that was such a big deal at the time and right now i can see that's kind of silly and so but some things i i could see you know my older self looking back at and being like you yeah, know that was really serious like if 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 uh someone passed away or something there's not really a way to necessarily you know that's it's something you'll yeah. get over, but it's still something that is kind of, you know, life changing. Whereas a lot of things that we feel are life changing or uh, life changing, not necessarily the best word, but just so, so bad. Uh, we could see ourselves maybe in the future looking back and saying, you know, it was not easy, but it wasn't so yeah. bad. And, and Sorry to interrupt you. Go no, ahead. go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say my my favorite, I think, number one philosophy of life is just the idea of relativity and that bad things are bad, but they then adjust your expectations for everything else that happens after that. And mm-hmm. just like winning the lottery is really awesome for a minute and then turns into nothing at all. Mm-hmm. Right, like a year later, lottery winners are no happier than people who had never won the lottery. Yeah. So, just like speaking from personal experience, I about a year ago, it was it was about a year ago today that I was taking twelve Advils every day because I had this weird leg issue that was going on. Like, what's going on with my leg? What? And that pain got worse and worse and worse. And I lost my ability to walk for about two months. And then I had surgery on my spine. And (laughs) it was horrifying pain. It was super scary. I did not know if I was going to make it through. Uh, I was literally laying on the ground Googling like how ways how to kill yourself, you know, like making a plan for, Hey, what do I do? If I, if I, if this doesn't get sorted out, mm-hmm, what's mm-hmm. my option? Cause my option is not laying on the ground in agony, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now. Uh, so that was actually February of this year. <laughs> Amazingly that February of this year, I had my surgery and mm-hmm. three, four months later. And today I'm a hundred percent. Not only am I a hundred percent, fixed like just nothing no symptoms nothing i'm perfect uh well okay yeah (laughs) go ahead (laughs) good one 
but not only am I am I recovered from it, but the thing I wanted to say is that I feel I do I really do feel like a better, stronger person for having had that whole thing happen to me. Yeah. I I feel it it has changed my perspective on the way I like take care of myself a little bit better. But I'm also just I'm more appreciative of the people in my life. I have opened up a lot more as far as just like making friends and visiting people and staying with people, staying at people's houses and having people stay at my house and just like this whole shift that can happen in your life. It totally unrelated to the physical thing, but it was just like, man, you went through this horrible thing, made it through, Mm -hmm. and now you have a much better appreciation for life. So, yeah. I don't know, Tom. I mean, it's this. Sure. It's a dark moment. It sucks for today. I think he should move. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree with that. Get away from that reminder. You don't need to be seeing her holding hands with this dude walking around your neighborhood all the time. And if it sounds like you hate your job anyway, you're studying for the LSAT, go to South America, go do whatever, move across the country again. Go wait tables somewhere. Study for the LSAT. Kick ass on it. Go to law school if you want. Do anything else if you want. I mean, I was also a financial consultant for my first job, and I hated it. I hated my first job as a financial consultant. The best advice I ever got there was quit. And I did. Uh, Really, I quit. I tried a bunch Mm -hmm. of other stuff. I hated all that other stuff too. But I ended up with, you know, just randomly... 10 years later, I end up with miraculously because I never would have predicted that I would be a teacher. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know what the LSAT was. Mm-hmm. And miraculously, 10 years later, I'm happier in my career than any other person that I know. You know, yeah. <laughs> it was just yeah. totally because of just random luck and shit happening and trying different things. So mm-hmm. I'm actually working on a book proposal right now to, to write a book about quitting and like don't basically the thesis of the book is like don't persist Hmm. just give up on things quit if it's not working out quit move on to something else yeah no that's interesting so wait you're working on a book proposal so then you send that to some like publisher yeah i guess i just started taking this class online um about how about the process of how you get a book published like is that a master's class or what no it's just a a class from some like writing it's called writing pad is the Mm. the business they have classes in san francisco and la and a bunch of other places around and the one that i'm doing is online it's been really good so far it's like the teacher is an actual book editor and uh, she's just walking us through the like hey here's how you go about writing a proposal for a book that a editor at a publishing house would read and maybe get a book published Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I find it interesting because I've only, you know, I've self-published a million books, and I, I've got it in me. I've got the words in me, um, mm-hmm. but I don't know how to sell it, and so that's the 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 purpose of taking this proposal class. I know that uh, James Altucher. Have you heard of him? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would agree with you on quitting. He he, he said that, uh, like, if you're having trouble pushing through something. A lot of, you know, the standard advice is sort of like, well, you got to push through it if you want to get good at it and so forth. And he's like, persevere, right? And I think there's, there's obvious truth to that. People who persevere succeed a lot in things that might be challenging otherwise. But he said there's also this sort of message that maybe 
you know, maybe this is something you need to persevere through so that you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but maybe there's no light at the end of the tunnel because this is not something that you should be doing. So why are you basically digging deeper and deeper into something that's not going to lead to anything valuable, right? Um, maybe it's a sign that you should go do something else. Yeah, I like to do the, uh, the the triple Venn diagram on the whiteboard when I'm talking to young people about what to do with their lives. Mm. The, that triple Venn diagram where one of the circles is things you love and one of the circles is things you can get paid for and one of the circles is things you're good at. And yeah. where those three things intersect, you're good at it, you love it, and you can get paid for it. That's the really, really happy spot, right? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are doing things that they're just not that good at. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I see LSAT students who are starting off with a 132 and struggling for a month, and now they're at 136... I'm not saying don't do it. I'm not saying, you know, this is not right for you. But I am saying it's a reasonable hypothesis that one could entertain. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And like, I don't want to, I'm not going to step on your dream. But if mm -hmm. you tell me that you are thinking that maybe this isn't the right fit for you, then good. Awesome. Like, it only took you a month to figure it out. Fantastic. You have. 90 more years left so go do other stuff that you're actually good at yeah I, I don't there there's like a path where the doors are sort of open to you you know mm -hmm. and it's like go down that path and people then you know they don't know what to do so i just with that it's like well what's your you surely you have some idea one or two ideas about what you think maybe might be the thing for you well mm -hmm. go try that for a little while Get as close yeah. to it as you can and see what the deal is. See if you like it or not. Yeah. Frequently, you discover that those things are not what you thought they would be. They're harder than you thought. They're not as fun as you thought. You end up hating it. Well, good. Fine. You checked it out. Awesome. Now quit and go do something else because you still have this giant world of possibilities. Yeah. I mean, infinite options right we all have infinite options yeah you could move to india tomorrow so I'm, i don't want to do that but if you do then just do it go do it and check it out yeah uh while you were talking it reminded me of a book i finished a couple weeks ago called <clears throat> messy the power of disorder to transform our lives by tim harford huh. and the cool thing about this book is that it just talks about our tendency, the whole book, it comes back to this different theme, the same theme with different uh, examples and so forth and studies. But our tendency is to sort of try to organize things, to make things very systematic, and that it, a lot of times these efforts fail. And in most in most cases in which we're successful, at least this is the argument of the book by Tim, that uh, we are sort of letting disorder or randomness actually into our lives and that's leading to success one example from many throughout the book would be something like um dating <laughs> and finding uh relationships in life his point is that most dating w websites which try to like 
make this a very organized and rational process, right? You find people with similar likes and similar neighborhood and everything like this. You should be able to find someone very effectively. And these dating websites apparently are very ineffective. Almost no one ever finds somebody apparently. I don't know this data, but when you randomly meet people or your friends introduce you to someone, you think this is so random. How could this person work out? But a lot of times those are the, the, the relationships that transform into longer term relationships. So the point is, is that sort of trusting in randomness and trying different things is a good thing. Yeah, there's like the Hollywood myth. And I think there's also the university myth, right? We send people to college at age 18 and expect them to declare a major and just get on a career path. Mm -hmm. Uh, okay, some people can plan their life like that and decide at age 18 and then just become a doctor and just stick with it for their whole life. I mean, sure, that works out sometimes for some people. I would yeah. think for way, way more people, <laughs> that, that is not at all how it happens. And mm -hmm. you're going to end up going from one thing to the next to the next. You are going to switch careers several times. You're going to move several times relationships same thing right we got the hollywood oh marry your high school sweetheart and have 10 kids and stay married for 75 years and isn't that a beautiful thing well sure that is a beautiful thing is that realistic uh for some people but for many people they're going to be in love several times during their lives and some of them are going to work out for a while and some of them aren't going to work out for a while and who knows what's around the corner yeah so, yeah, uh, Tom, I think you, you got uh, your whole life ahead of you, buddy. And <laughs> I uh, just think, hang in there. Tomorrow's a new day. Yeah. So this next question is from Steve. Steve uh, posted this on our blog, thinkinglsat.com. He says, Nathan says that if you don't sign up for two tests, you're, quote, shooting yourself in the foot. Mm. That's not what I said. Okay. All right. What did you say? I said, if you don't have a backup plan in mind, if yes. your intention is to take the test once and only once and never take it a second time, no matter what, then you are, yes, shooting yourself in the foot. But I wouldn't actually sign up for the next test because I'm hoping that I do hit a home run on my first attempt. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so he says, if I remember correctly, this was because of variations in the difficulty of the tests, but aren't they graded on a curve or is the median score lower on a more difficult one? Uh, I think he's confused as to why you're recommending to take multiple tests. Yeah. I'm not trying to take a test and get lucky. I'm not trying to take a test and catch an easy one. I'm trying to give myself multiple bites at the apple in case I don't do as well as I would like on my first attempt. Bad shit can happen. You can have a proctor who is, you know, reading a magazine right in front of your face and changing the pages all the time and distracting you. You can be sick that day. You can catch a section of logic games that just kind of throws you off and you don't do as well as you would have liked. You can drink a bottle of NyQuil and have a panic attack and not sleep. You know, there's a million things that can happen to you. Yeah. So I'm not, and I'm not, I would love it if you only take it once. I just want you to have a backup plan. And I hate it when your practice test average is 165. You take the test, get a 160 and you're like, oh, well, 
you know, I could have done better, but I got to hurry up and get these applications in. And I, or I'm just going to, I'll just go with this. That's fine. Mm-hmm. That's, that is shooting yourself in the head. I mean, that's just like, what are you doing? You could have gotten, your average was five points higher than this and you didn't just decide to take it again. That, that is ridiculous. I think you probably agree with that. Oh, I agree. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, and what this means is that if you plan on taking, you plan on taking two tests, uh, you don't sign up for them, but if you plan on taking two tests, then that suggests that you should strongly consider taking the test in June or September so that you can take a fallback test, take it again either in December, September or December, depending on when you took it, and still be applying early for that semester. Or if you find yourself in a situation where you're taking it in December and you might need to take it again in February, be very open to the possibility of applying in the next cycle. Because if you do, you'll be applying early. You'll have to go to school one year later which would put back your 40-year career by one year. (laughs) And think about that. I mean, sometimes people, you know, I understand they want to go to school quickly, but a lot of times the reasons are just very short-sighted. You know, like, well, then I'm going to have to be in my job for another year. Well, it's like, yeah, but you're also going to have to be in the job that you end up in for 40 years. You're not going to have to be, but you're going to likely be if, if if this is what you pursue and do you want those 40 years to be based on a lower score and thus a less prestigious school and thus less <laughs> prestigious job offers? Or do you want it to be based on your best self? Yeah. I mean, also, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to stay at your job for the intervening year. You could do whatever you want for that intervening year. Sure. You could move to Hawaii and be a barista and learn how to surf. I don't know. You could do, there's a million things you could do. Yeah. So it's, it, I think it's, that's actually, uh, there's got to be like a name for that fallacy. It's just like, well, I can't do what I'm doing now. So I have to do this other thing. It's mm-hmm. bi- weird binary thinking, I guess. It, it mm-hmm. You know, I, I just, I hate my life so much right now. So I have to go to law school because that's the only thing that's going to change it. No. I think the terms I've heard is like false choice. It's like oh, this yeah, false okay. choice, right? False dichotomy, between. especially. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay, cool. So that's, I think we've cleared that one up for Steve, no? Yeah, he also says, aren't the tests graded on a curve, which I, you know, we have talked about this before. There's, it's not actually curved, it's actually scaled. Scaled just means that they assess the difficulty of the test in advance rather than actually curve it based on the performance of the people who took that test. The scoring scale does differ by a couple points, plus or minus, but it doesn't really change all that much. Mm-mm. Um, no, yeah. it's just, it more, it just depends on you. I think he's thinking that because the test is scaled, uh, wouldn't the difficulty be accounted for? But the difficulty can depend on much more than just the scale. It could depend on how you were feeling that day yeah, or right. what you did foolishly um, the night before or <laughs> whatever. Or if you're if you're really good at games and then they give you a really hard game section and then compensate for that hard game section by giving a slightly easier reading content comp section that is totally to your benefit and you know maybe the opposite happens and so you have to you end up taking another test and kind of hoping for the windfall to go in the other direction yeah right i think the curve that he needs to be thinking about is the curve of 
his own possibilities on the day of the test, right? He, he mm-hmm. if you were to keep track of all of your practice test results and then plot them on a like a frequency chart uh, histogram, I guess you could call mm-hmm. that. Yeah, exactly. Um, it would create a curve, and there are there's an average. You have your own practice test average, whatever that is, one sixty five or whatever it is, and. You're, but you'll see scores that are five points higher than that, and you'll also see scores that are five points lower than that. And that's not necessarily because of the changing difficulty of the test. That's just because there's randomness, and some days you're feeling better than others. Some days you get distracted more easily. Some days you stay more focused. And yeah. some days you get your 50-50s right, and some days you get your 50-50s wrong. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I would say, yeah, if you're looking at the December LSAT, because you want to start law school in 2017, I would say, okay, good. I hope you hit a home run on December 3rd, you know, get ready, get all the way ready and plan on hitting a home run, but also have a plan for what happens if you don't quite hit that home run, which I think involves taking, I would have the February LSAT already on my calendar. And I would also have the June LSAT already on my calendar and just block those days out so that you can, you know, so that they're blocked out and then, if necessary, you end up taking those tests and up applying, you know, in fall of 2017 for 2018 admission. Yeah. Alrighty. So the next uh, tweet is from Benjamin Harkins. And the first tweet at NFOX and at Thinking LSAT is says i'm not sure how much it affected my performance but i decided to push push back the date of my wedding that week is this is this conversation starting midstream here um i don't know just i think if we read the other one it'll be okay okay to the second tweet should i write an addendum explaining that as a reason for my low score assuming i make up the lost points in december also should I apply to safe schools with this score and reach school a reach school after December or all schools and say I'm retaking? So, I mean, I think we've talked about this a lot, but when it comes to the scores, uh, he should apply to the schools, well, safe schools with this score. I mean, he could apply to safe schools with the score and then apply to the reach schools later. I would not apply to all schools and then say I'm retaking because they'll just shelve your application and wait for your score to come in. So if you want a school to consider your uh, application, apply. If you don't want them to consider your application until they get your score, just wait and uh, focus on your score. Yeah, if if you're above the 75th percentile and you think they're going to give you a scholarship with whatever score you have on record and you want to just get that application in now, I think that's totally fine. Yeah. Or, you know, there could be like an early decision program or something that you would like to try to apply for. Of course, read the fine print on the early decision program. But if that's if if you've got a number that's good enough for them and you think you're going to get an offer, then, yeah, that's OK. But no, definitely don't apply. Never apply and say, oh, I'm re- also I'm retaking the test because best case they just shelve it. And worst case, they evaluate it with your score on record and deny you. Uh, so, yeah, that's the plan. I, I found the, I thought the other question was probably more interesting. Just the um, he pushed back the date of his wedding. Sorry about that. Or good, good, you know, like maybe the best thing you ever did. Um, 
And should he put that in his addendum? What do you think? My gut reaction is no. I, I mean, it just, I think, raises more questions than, like, what... I would just, if his score goes up, I would yeah. just let the score, let them make the assumptions, which is that you got better, which is also largely probably true. <laughs> and now this is where I'm at. Let's go with the score. And Levine likes to say that people should explain their LSAT score if there's a big jump. But if it's going up, I don't, I still don't really understand the need to explain no, that. No, I don't get it either. I think if they specifically ask you, then maybe you would say this, but... As for, I, I agree with, you know, law schools only care about your highest score, so I think it just doesn't even matter. I think you just get a higher score if they're like, hey, wow, you went up a whole bunch here. What's going on? I would actually not even, I, I don't, I would never say, oh, it's because I pushed back the date of my wedding. I mean, that's I, true, but it just seems unprofessional. It's like oversharing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think I would be throwing that in there. I, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, for starters, it probably is very true that if his score goes up, it's because he's improved, right? Not just because his his other score was lower because of the wedding stuff. Uh, he's actually gotten better. And so I would just focus on that aspect because it's a totally reasonable thing. And it just, I don't know, that's what happens to everybody. I knew I could do better, so I took it again. Thank you. What's wrong with that? I I, I don't I can't imagine they're going to be like that's not good enough. <laughs> How did you go up ten points? What has happened? <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's like, well, do you want me to take you to school on like randomness and also uh, that people can get better at things? I don't know. Yeah. Like, I, I don't. I don't think these admissions folks are really thinking that way. Like, oh, they're going to hold it against you that you improved. They're going to hold it against you that you tried again because you knew you could do better. I would just, yeah, I think standard, well, the my first result was not, I, I believed that my first result was not indicative of my actual ability. So I took it again. Oh, I took it again. So you know what you should not write is you should not write that my score had a huge jump because at first I didn't have accommodations. Then I applied oh, for Jesus, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would Maybe be dumb. You're going to have to start asking now. Like, that would be really dumb. 12, 12 points, right? Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, that actually makes me think that maybe that's why they ask the question. Well, can they under the ADA now, right? Well, that, no, if you they didn't they're not asking you about that. You voluntarily offer it, right? But yeah. if you voluntarily say like, "Oh, I sucked at the LSAT until I got accommodations," then they're like, "Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we will pass on you then. Good." I, I wouldn't put the wedding thing. I think it's depressing. I think it's just, it's like, yeah, it raises too many questions. It's, it's a little unprofessional. It's a little bit oversharing. I think I would just say I knew I could do better, so I took it again. Yeah. And even that, maybe only if they ask. Yeah. What do you think about this next one from Cam Baxendale on Twitter? Yeah. Well, I like how... Cam asked you. I mean, that's fair because I don't use Twitter really. But right. um, I don't think that the India tests that Ben talked about are legit. Some sections have only four answer choices, A through D. I took prep test India number two, um, and I didn't see any four option answers. I am opening up 
prep test number three right now. And I, holy, <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I had not opened this before to this moment. And yes, it has four question or four answer choice questions. That is interesting. Look at this game. Okay, I almost swore on the podcast. Well, Mr. Cam is correct. So I don't know if that makes them illegitimate. Like these are actual things. We we saw them uh, in the LSAC newsletter that we quoted a couple episodes ago. This is definitely LSAC formatting. This is a thing. I've seen articles about them trying to expand uh, the opportunities for people pursuing law school in India. Why the heck they chose to have four answer choices, which now increases your likelihood of getting the correct answer to 25% is beyond me. But maybe they just got lazy. That's only in the games section. The other sections appear to have five answer choices. Interesting. Oh, no. Reading comp. (laughs) Same foreign reading comp too. Foreign reading comp. You know what? Well, no, they couldn't do this. I was hoping they could do answer choice E, which is like none of the above, but that would be really tr- tricky on some of these questions. So, so that's awesome. Thanks at Cam Baxendale. Um, I have a couple of thoughts maybe about that. One would sure. be um, when you sit for the December third LSAT. Mm-hmm. Don't be super shocked if you see a question that only has four answer choices on it. Yeah, that that is weird. I would have never thought of that possibility until now. Yeah, yeah. Now I would. Now I would. But I mean, generally speaking, do not shit your pants when you see something different on the LSAT because <laughs> the LSAT is full of different things all the time. By the way, we didn't explicitly talk about this, Ben. Not yet. But that virus game was easy. Yeah, I'm sorry. I haven't done it yet. I'm waiting to do the whole test in one sitting. But it's easy. I did it live in front of a couple of my classes. I, that's that's how I do it, the new test, right? I just say I just crack them open right in front of the class and start cool. working on them. But that virus game was easy. It's not. It is not hard. And by the way, that section is really easy. Game one, game two, game three, all of them really easy. And then game four is weird and easy. It is easy. All the information is on the page. All you have to do is figure it out. And yeah, if you uh, see four answer choices. If you see three answer choices, I don't know. They could do whatever they want. It, they <laughs> they can change things. So just roll with it. Figure it out. Yeah. The other thing I might say, less answer choices, as you said, increases your chances of guessing correctly. Mm-hmm. Strategically, I would say that would mean even more you should slow down, focus on getting the ones right that you can get right. Figure them out. Make sure you get them right. Because mm-hmm. now you're going to get one out of four of your guesses right instead of just one out of five of your guesses. Yeah. Anyway, cool. that's a cool one. Thanks, Cam. Yeah. So what to do with these LSAT Indias, by the way, is really probably only worry about them if you've run out of a ton of tests and yeah. you're just looking for more stuff that you haven't seen before. There's nothing wrong with repeating tests, especially if you didn't get anywhere in the 170s on them before. If you're still just looking for something new, and sometimes people are, they might. I think they're still a still something to do yeah. so but not not until you've done the more recent stuff all right so this last one is from grace she says i have a bit of a problem that i think other people have i took the september elsa after studying all summer i was feeling really confident averaging 
171.5 on my last five prep tests before the test. Also, to not look at the score, I was averaging nine wrong total on the test, minus one or two in LR, minus one in games, and minus four or five on reading comp. I left the test feeling confident. I got my score back, and it was a 168. She says, hey, that's reasonable. Good. So she recognizes that's within the range of possibility for sure, but not good enough with my GPA. I have a huge grade deflation because I go to John Hopkins, which is an actual hellhole. <laughs> to get, to get stuck. Glad you feel that way. About I don't think hellhole. it's literally a hellhole, but it's actually a hellhole. Yeah. Did I say literally? No. She wrote oh, okay. actual, which I've noticed okay. young people doing these days. They say actual now. I, I prefer it a lot from, from literal. I don't, please don't say literally unless you really mean literally, but actual it's also not an actual hellhole grace it's not to get me securely above the 50th percentile at a t14 school i'm aiming for okay let me let me stop actually with this she has grade deflation because she goes to johns hopkins when she says it's a hellhole i think she means it's really difficult that they just grade strictly there or something i believe that that would be a perfectly appropriate place to write an addendum to point the committee's attention to the fact that your GPA, whatever it is, if you have a 3.2, that 3.2 might actually be awesome at Johns Hopkins, and you might want to just put a short professional note, one, you know, two sentences that explains that to people. Yeah, so two things I would say about that is, one, I just want to make sure it actually is deflated, because if you start crying about deflation and it's not actually deflated, you're going to... Just point out how your uh, grades are and how bad. Yeah, and, and you're whining. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> and you're whining. Right. But the other thing is I'm thinking that I think the schools, especially like John, the law schools would know, I think, that John Hopkins' grades are deflated. I think that that's something that they're fully aware of and they're taking into account when they calculate your GPA along with your school Could along be. with your uh, major. Right Could there. Be, but I haven't heard of schools actually adjusting the index numbers. Have you? Oh, I, I thought that's what Ann said they do, is that they actually adjust them based on your major as well as your school. Maybe I misunderstood her, but I thought that she was saying that they will take it into consideration, but I don't remember them actually bumping up the index numbers. Maybe I just missed that. Uh, Yeah, maybe I don't. I don't know either, but... If it is true, and even if they know about it, uh, if those two conditions are met, I would say definitely write an addendum because just, you know, make sure. Two sentences. It's not an opportunity for you to write a super flowery second personal statement. No. The addendum is like a memo. You know, the purpose of this memo is to assist the committee with interpreting my undergraduate transcripts. My grade point average at Johns Hopkins, 3.2, is actually in the 90th percentile. <laughs> yes. No, no. Stick Period. to the facts. Stick to the facts. And the longer it is, the more it's gonna you're going to sound like a whiner. Yes. Okay, cool. So she says, I actually got a perfect game section on the test, despite the computer viruses game. Because it was easy. Because it was easy. <laughs> but got 15 wrong total, more than my average. So I decided to retake. After dedicating months to the LSAT already, I'm finding it hard to get back into the swing of studying and motivating myself like I could for December or September. 
Besides looking into a private tutor, do you have any suggestions for motivation, studying, and general advice for someone who is honestly tired of reading the most boring reading comp passages ever in her spare time? Well, first of all, I would make it a habit by doing what we always suggest, and that is setting a simple goal of doing one 35-minute section a day. Um, even if it's not fun, I think it will become more fun over time. But even if it's not fun, if that's what you just know you have to do every day, it will start to become easier to do. That's the same with like working out or anything. Just make it part of the routine. Yeah. And I would also say if you averaged 171.5 on your last five prep tests before the test and you only got a 168 on record, then you're a very good candidate for improvement on your next test in December. Yeah. Um, even if all you do is tread water between now and December. Mm -hmm. So don't feel like you have to study five hours a day. I mean, a section a day is enough to keep continue improving. And I would think a section every other day would be enough for someone, uh, like grace to tread water. Mm -hmm. So if you're really that burned out, I mean, I, I don't think we should be studying when we're tired and angry and hungry and whatever else hangry. I don't think we should. I don't think we should be studying mm. in those circumstances anyway. So just, you know, don't stress out about your lack of motivation. Remember that a little bit is going to go a long way. Try to do a little bit every day. If you want to take a couple of days off, I think that's totally, totally fine. Yeah. I, I might also say, um, I think she's going for comedy a little bit here when she says reading the most boring reading comprehension passages ever. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I'm, I'm a bit tired of hearing that from people because when I've, I, I find that if I read the reading comprehension passages, if I do it the right way, they're actually kind of interesting. I mm -hmm. mean, they're factual. So there are topics that I don't want to read about but I also learn things from the reading comprehension passages. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if it, a lot of times I think if you think they're boring, it might be because you're not actually comprehending it. Yeah. You know, or you're, or you're not reading it in an aggressive enough manner where you're making a game of it. You know, you need to be boxing with them a little bit, sparring with them a little bit. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait, what? You're telling me what? Why are you telling me that? Huh? Well, I bet, I bet I know what you're going to say next though. I bet you're going to say this, right? And then, oh, no. Oh, you didn't. Ooh. Oh, you surprised me. Wow. Ooh. You said something I was not <laughs> expecting. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I think you can, you can kind of play with it. You know, you can have fun with it. I mean, that, and that is for sure the people who do best are the people who are playing with it and having fun with yeah. it. So then she, I agree. I couldn't agree more. She says, thank you so much. Also. I guess in case Hopkins is listening for some reason. Hello, Hopkins. And gets mad at the grade deflation call out. You can call me Grace, which is why we are calling her Grace today. You know, I don't think Hopkins will be mad about your call out. I think they are proud of their grade deflation. I'm, I'm sure, yeah. That's also got to be just sort of public information. Yeah. I mean, they might be mad that you called it an actual hellhole. <laughs> <laughs> I.e. a difficult school, which they'll take as a compliment. We also feel inclined to send a shout out to the other Hopkins alum who lives in Alaska and listens to the podcast. 
So thank you for doubling our Alaskan turnout. Uh, not Alaska doubling our Alaskan turnout, but doubling our Hopkins turnout. Is that what you mean? <laughs> oh, well, I figured we only had one person in Alaska last week, and now we have two. No, I don't think she lives in Alaska, dude. I think she's just giving a shout-out to the dude who lives in Alaska. Mm, I beg to differ. I happen to know that Grace, <laughs> <laughs> Grace lives in Alaska. She told me in a side email. I think the odds are better that that sentence is a little iffy than <laughs> that Grace lives in Alaska. But we don't know. She'll have to write back into know. the show and let us know. Hey, so speaking of stats, I never look at the stats. Have you looked at the stats lately? Yeah, I look every once in a while. I give myself a little pat on the back. Do we have two people or three people in Alaska? You know, we could do like a little live update right now of the stats. We ha- we need to wrap up the show anyway. I don't think we have time probably to do a logical reasoning question. Today. Okay. We've, we've, we've been rambling on for quite some time now. Or do we? <laughs> or do we? <laughs> uh, let's see. Well, I will tell you that last month was our biggest month all time in terms of total downloads. October 2016, we had 21,000 episodes downloaded. So thank you to our listeners. Thank you for telling a friend about the show. Um, You know, grab your friend's phone and just subscribe for them so that they can get all of this awesome uh, LSAT talk and (laughs) it will inflate our download data and not mean anything. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But that is uh, October of 2015 was less than 10,000 downloads. And October of 2016 is 21,000 downloads. So we're looking at a 100% improvement year over year, which is very exciting. So I have a very base motive in life, which is to make money. So if you said that um, if if everyone paid a dollar... For each download, that'd be $21,000 in one month. Divide that by two between you and yours truly. That would be uh, $10,500. And we could go um, to foreign countries on the back of the Thinking LSAT. Yeah, that would be lovely. Yeah, I mean, the donation button's on the on the website. And I a dollar an episode seems pr- fair to me. Yeah. I don't know. You could put more if you wanted, but a dollar an episode. Yeah. We could, we could invest some of that back into the show and actually have like an agenda. <laughs> we could have sound effects for our new feature, <laughs> the dumbest move of the LSAT. Yeah. Yeah. Let me let me look at uh, top 10 states are still uh, California, number one, because California is so big unknown there's a lot of people who i don't know you're like getting it from an unknown undisclosed server or something stop being that way just tell us where you're from yeah totally new york texas virginia dc florida maryland illinois and then all others uh full list this is by the way all time complete all time downloads okay and alaska we have 74 episodes all time downloaded wait, wait, <laughs> from Alaska. 74 downloads total? 74 total. That's each down each episode downloaded one time counts for one. 
So that's okay. 74 times from Alaska. But you know, there's a lot of like people who are, are sort of like living on a off the grid compound in Alaska. The people, all those yeah. people that are hiding what state they're from. Yeah. Are probably uh, all of them are probably yeah. in Alaska. Yeah. Plus like those 74 are probably from like the Sarah Palin compound or something. Yeah, totally. I mean, she listens to us like religiously. I know that. Yeah. There's two states lower than Alaska. Two states lower than Alaska. Yeah, you want to guess? I think we've already made fun of these states before. <laughs> uh, I'm guessing Mississippi? Nope. Mississippi's actually above Maine, New Hampshire, oh, Vermont, sorry, South sorry, Dakota, just... and Alaska. And these two. Mm, oh. uh, Georgia? Nah, come on. Georgia. Georgia's way. I don't know. What's a. What's a <laughs> North Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's just because there's no people there. It's all cows or no buffalo. Yeah. yeah. Okay. North Dakota, 52 total downloads all time. And then the uh, in last place, we get Wyoming, 30. Wyoming. Of course. It's the Buffalo states. Gosh, man. We got to have more Buffalo content. There's just no people there. And um, those people are driving around with a Budweiser in between their legs in their pickup truck. And they don't give a shit about podcasts they have school. their life figured out they're like yeah. trying to go to law school oh they're much happier yeah huh. yep so that's that um i mean we could also i guess we could talk about the countries if people care about the world well i am most interested in north korea iran and um mm. yeah united states clearly in the lead on all-time downloads china second mm-hmm. place Canada third place. So China kicking Canada's ass. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, then we get Republic of Korea, Japan, Australia, UK, Taiwan. How many and people Germany. are in Japan? How many people in Japan? How many people in Japan? No, I'm sorry. The population of Japan? <laughs> I don't know. Please tell me the population. No. How many people, how many downloads? My bad. Uh, 597 all-time episodes downloaded from Japan. Wait, 597. So, okay, so all there time. are some people who are in Japan downloading this podcast. Oh, That's and pretty- way more than Alaska. We know we have listeners in Alaska because they write us, at least one, maybe two. But that's like 10 times as many people, or 10 times as many downloads have come from Japan as Alaska. So, so kore kara nihongo de hanashitai to omoimasu. ka? Holy shit. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was awesome. So that's just a little Japanese from high school that says, uh, from now on, we're going to speak in Japanese. Is that okay? <laughs> wow. We'll see how bad it is, though. I'm sure we'll get, uh, you know, nasty emails saying, I don't know what the heck you thought you were saying, but it wasn't right. 28 episodes have been downloaded from Iran. Whoa. Uh, what else were we looking for? The other Korea? That's zero. We got Republic of Korea, 13, 14. That's actually fourth place on our total list. But the other Korea, mm-mm. Nope. Nope. No. <laughs> what else were you looking for? Uh, no, that was it. So none in North Korea. None, gonna, in, none in North Korea. We're not helping to bring down the regime there. Not yet, no. Although that could be, again, that could be the um, unknown. The unknowns. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, they got to keep that secret up there. Right. Huh. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's all. Yeah, that's all I want to know. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Seriously, um, 
you know, a dollar an episode, if that's a little steep for you, you could also just uh, tell a friend about the show, uh, spread the word with your pre-law society, post it on your Facebook page, send us an email and let us know how you're doing with the show. We really appreciate hearing from everybody. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, you can always e- email us at help at thinkinglsat.com or tweet at thinkinglsat or uh, go to the website thinkinglsat.com and post your questions there. No matter how you send us your questions, we will tackle them. Unless you tweet at strategy prep, in which case Ben will never <laughs> respond. <laughs> but if you, treat at, if you tweet at infox, I will definitely get it. If, if you respond. actually tweet at me, at strategyprep.com, then we will tackle the question on the show. But I don't know that I will respond to your tweet. I would That would require a little more work on my part that I may not be able to muster the strength to do. Yeah, so. and just to, you, you said at strategyprep.com, but I think your, your Twitter handle is just <laughs> at strategyprep. <laughs> if you tweet yeah, so. at strategyprep.com. <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. We are definitely not going to respond. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, thanks. Cool. Yeah. Um, thanks, Ben. You got anything else you need to uh, tack on to the show today? Uh, no, no. Just looking for the, we're looking forward to those dollar donations. That's it. Thank you. Boy, can't wait for that. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks, everybody.